0: The following program is brought to you by TasteBud Entertainment.
1: Welcome to an hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and wine with Chef Jamie Gwen starts now.
0: Well, good morning food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. This is Cooking and Entertaining. From a chef's point of view, we believe that food tells a story, and we appreciate you tuning in to listen. We will make you a culinary genius. We're sharing wisdom and inspiring you to be a better cook, so if you're looking for recipes that are quick, easy, and fun, you are in the right place. We have sizzling good eats this hour as we kick off Sunday morning right here on KFWB News Talk 980. Good morning to you, Lana. Hi. We've revamped our website, by the way. Hey, Chris. Can you turn that music down? This is really important information. We've revamped our website, and we wanted you to know how excited we are. We thought we'd kick off this morning's show with our thoughts on the fact that we hope you love the new site. It's easier to navigate and far more user-friendly. And at chefjamie.com, you'll find click-through buttons for our social media links so that you can keep in touch and current with our best recipes and happenings. We have a completely redesigned layout with simplicity and ease of use and a really strong focus on content delivery in mind and we hope you enjoy exploring our new website so please feel free to send us comments or feedback that you might have the website at chefjamie.com is always serving up seconds with the thought and the idea that you might have a cooking question or need a brilliant idea or you're looking for a recipe to you know dip your toes into the world of all things food. So once again, at chefjamie.com, hopefully better than ever in our opinion and yours. And of course, it highlights the recipe of the week, something sweet, and our weekly recipe updates, including our technique of the week. So we'll kick off this show with the idea of hoping to make you a better cook in your own kitchen. This week's technique is all about easy pickled red onions. Now, I love pickles. Actually, I love anything pickled, carrots or cauliflower, zucchini. And especially red onions. And if you take a peek into my refrigerator, you will most often find a mason jar of something pickled that is homemade. Now Lana makes luscious pickles, you do, and I think the best ones you make are the zucchini pickles inspired by Momo quick pickle recipe. Mm-hmm. I happen to love the idea of pickled red onions because they're the perfect bright condiment that adds a sweet, sour, zesty tang to a multitude of dishes. And in just a half hour, you can have a crunchy splash of color on your salad, on your tacos, on your potato salad, on your sandwiches, even on your quinoa, on your Sunday night roast chicken. And they last a good few weeks in the fridge. So you always look like a culinary hero when you pull pull them out, right? And you say, voila. And nobody knew, by the way, how truly simple they were to make. They're even nice on a cheese platter, by the way. Now, don't fret if you don't like raw onions, because Lana, you're not a raw onion lover, mm-hmm. but you've been known to dip into the pickled red onion pickle jar. That's because
2: there's sugar in them. And yes, it definitely lends uh, or takes on an entire new uh, direction of uh Flavored pink yes pickled onions delicious and soft they soften up
0: yeah no i think you've made an interesting point about texture and flavor both of those are attributes of the particular recipe that we use which of course we're sharing with you at ChefJamie.com. the homemade pickle variety that i make is is not oniony in fact it's all about sweetness and crunch as Lana just mentioned I peel a sweet red onion then cut it in half and slice it in half moons you could do whole slices if you wanted and then I blanch the red onion briefly to mellow the flavor and to create that toothsome texture now the onion of course could be yellow or white but I think red makes the best pickled onion the vinegar is most important. I like to use rice vinegar or champagne vinegar. Raspberry vinegar is delicious too, by the way.
2: Mm, and I like to use red wine vinegar. Yes. And my secret is to add a touch of beet juice. I love that. Yeah, the color is beautiful. Yes, for for pickled
0: red onions and risotto, by the way. That makes a beautiful hued risotto. And also when you're caramelizing onions. That's genius. Yes. Yeah, I'm so glad you shared Love that because that. that's a tip of what we made this week. In fact, um, we made long, slow caramelized onions to store in the fridge and a little bit of beet juice does add this, this richness, this inherent sweetness. You open a package of Melissa's already roasted steamed beets and you save the liquid and then you use that beet juice. Um, You could use apple cider vinegar, by the way, when you're making your easy pickled red onions, but it is rather pungent. Please note. The sugar is essential. As we've mentioned, it provides a balance to the vinegar when you're making pickled red onions. You could use agave or honey or another sugar substitute. That will work as well. And then the aromatics are really important. I like to add additional flavors for oomph, although you can make simple pickled red onions using just onions, vinegar, sugar, and salt. I like to add garlic cloves or peppercorns or a slice of jalapeno for heat. You could add red pepper flakes or fennel seeds or orange peel or
2: fresh herbs, whatever tickles your fancy. Mm, I hmm I like one of the newest trends being pickled fruits. Uh, I pickled blackberries and they turned out just fabulous. Yes, they did yes. actually. Uh, interesting
0: to consider that the wonderful thing about uh, the capturing, I guess, the end of the summer season is to uh, is to be able to put it up as we talk about. So pickled fruit, all the trend. Lana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at your farmer's market. I mean, that's certainly the the way to take hold of the season and um, and enjoy the beauty of it in a new and sort of, uh, you know, twist on a flavor profile, that sweet, tangy, salty, sour, umami mix of flavors that comes from a pickle. Mm. We've posted the easy pickled red onions recipe to step you threw it at chefjamie.com. And we hope you enjoy our technique of the week, hoping to make you a better cook in your own kitchen. We hope that if you're celebrating Rosh Hashanah this year, as we are in our homes, um, that you will continue to stay tuned. Coming up a little bit later in the hour, Judy Bart Cansegore, the author of Cooking Jewish, Jewish rather, is sharing her 2013 Rosh Hashanah menu. And um, Lana has written a menu that we're planning to celebrate with, in fact. And I think it's a beautiful one. I think you've taken a very modern approach to Rosh Hashanah this year, but still kept those traditions mm-hmm. that uh, Rosh Hashanah is so much seeped in. A nice change
2: in a mix of many different countries around the world.
0: Yeah, it is. It's it's very multicultural. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us what the, the plan is to to start with starting off with some goat cheese toast with honey and walnuts the symbolism of honey of Mm -hmm. course for a sweet new year very important Um, and we're using a lot more honey Mm -hmm. both of us in fact Um, I I love the flavor that it gives and I've been experimenting with baking Mm. um, with it as well that's a nice starter and then moving on
2: going on to
0: a white gazpacho soup that you make Yeah, I happen to love this ajo blanco, this white gazpacho that you make with water and uh, some stale bread and almonds and garlic. And it all goes in the food processor or the blender better Mm -hmm. yet. And you let it run for a good few minutes. One of the things that I think great cooks uh, and home cooks specifically um, need to master is the fact that you should let your appliances run longer. If you've watched Jose Garces or um, the great Jose Andres uh, cook, cook in especially in the Spanish style so much is done in the blender and the the blender runs and runs you get this incredibly smooth elegant texture from a little bit more of the whizzing and especially that applies to this um, Spanish white gazpacho and then you strain it and get this incredible flavor that's a really mm. nice addition I think to a Rosh Hashanah menu
2: what are you topping it with some Marcona
0: almonds yeah toasted Marcona almonds um, I was even thinking some crispy fried leeks oh nice yeah I mean you could do oh. lots of different Wonderful flavors. You could just cook some simple um, brioche croutons in a ton of unsalted butter, mm. uh, and put those
2: on top too. That would be nice. Mm. Sounds wonderful. Now we're also doing Mediterranean chicken and brisket. We can't leave the brisket out. No, because it, I, of course I I would be an uproar if there was <laughs> no brisket for Rosh Hashanah. And then uh, a quinoa salad with pomegranates, uh, uh, the pomegranate seed. Being very meaningful for the holiday. Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of symbolism in the pomegranates. In fact,
0: we're going to dish with Judy coming up about mm-hmm. the number of arrows or seeds in a pomegranate and what it represents. And you, by the way, don't have to use just pomegranate. You could substitute like pomegranate molasses if you wanted to be very nouveau mm-hmm. and incorporate that into your Rosh Hashanah
2: menu. It says it's a sign of plenty. Yes. So it's great to use throughout the meal. Um, also, orange roasted baby carrots with honey. Nice. Again, everything's yes. sweet for a sweet new year. Right. And then ending, I have... S- Six or seven thoughts for endings. I thought we were having all of those desserts. That's
0: perfect (laughs) for me. I'm I'm very happy. In fact, Um, I love the creme fraiche tart Mm -hmm. with the raspberries piled on top and then drizzled once again with lavender honey. You see that uh, the Jewish New Year, of course, is celebrated for its sweetness, for the hope of prosperity, good health, abundance, all the beauties of gathering family and friends together to celebrate and really welcome in a New Year. Year, and I love uh, the the continual uh, stream of honey uh, or flow of honey, no pun intended, mm-hmm. all throughout the meal, um, and that's a lovely tart. Also, fresh figs. Uh, you were considering with goat cheese, you could make homemade ricotta yes. and drizzle those with honey. And then mm-hmm. I loved your um, idea of a gift of food mm. to send guests home with. If you would share it, it also would make a great host or hostess gift if you're going to someone's home for Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. It's
2: very pretty. It's just toasting some whole walnuts and mixing them with honey and maybe a little chopped thyme or or rosemary.
0: Yeah, nice. Mm. Really nice. And putting it in a mason jar, right? Mm -hmm. Wrapping it with a ribbon. And you have a beautiful gift. By the way, you've heard us dish before about the health benefits of honey on this show. And interestingly enough, we try to use and consume honey that is actually produced by the bees in the area that we live in. And no matter where you live across the U.S., they actually have statistically proven that you, if you ingest honey that is from your neighborhood, then you actually build up a tolerance to some of the allergens in the area where you live. So really, it's a wonderful thing to do for your body. Um, and we love uh, local honey, of course, because it is completely sustainable. And the fact that honey is one of the only foods in the world, if not the only... That never goes bad, that never has a shelf life.
2: Mm. It's
0: non-perishable forever and ever and ever.
2: Oh, we love that.
0: I do love that, too. I happen to love uh, double chocolate gooey brownies, too. And I've posted, I think, the ultimate fudgy brownie recipe, which, yes, I tested this week for you. You're welcome. Uh, (laughs) I had to, right? I was posting a new brownie recipe. How could I not eat out of the pan? So uh, they might just be the best you've ever made. So please check them out at chefjamie.com. The recipe of the week, an apricot chicken curry made better with jam, a simple weeknight meal, uh, starting to plan for your back to school. It's perfect, served over uh, aromatic coconut jasmine rice, and it uses the best of the stone fruit at the end of the season. And then, Lana, I loved your Cook with Lana recipe this week. As well, uh, it sort of felt like I was getting ready for fall with um, your vegetarian
2: black bean chili. Isn't it wonderful because it has sweet potatoes in it? Yeah, what a nice twist yes, and nice. great color too, and easy to make.
0: Yeah, really fabulous. Absolutely. You'll find all of this delicious inspiration at ChefJamie.com and we hope you'll stay tuned as the conversation continues. As mentioned, Judy Bart Cansegore is coming up. She is the author of Cooking Jewish and she's sharing her Rosh Hashanah menu along with how to make a challah in a bread machine. Oh yes, you can. How great is that? The traditional uh, Jewish egg bread can be made in the bread machine. Uh, You'll be baking bread in no time. Also, Chef John Ledbetter of Lark Creek Restaurant is talking about sustainable fish, his mighty quinoa recipe, and the ultimate way to cook a beautiful piece of halibut. Just wait, you will be mastering fish preparation in no time. And coming up next, Joe Manzella of The Catch in Anaheim, California, right here. He's dishing on the history of sandwiches. If you love a Reuben or a Monte Cristo, just you wait. His sandwiches are, as I like to say, to live for. And he's sharing the best of sandwiches, the famous 50, in fact, across the country that have made themselves famous. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio, don't go away. We're going to make you hungry for more right after this. Making every day more delicious. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio, do you love a lobster roll, a Monte Cristo, a grinder, a banh mi? How about an open-faced tuna melt, a samita, or a rubin? I'll take one of all of them. We're paying homage to this sandwich today to Honor National Sandwich Month, and we're putting together an epic list of sandwiches. Joining us is Joe Manzella. He is the proprietor of The Catch in Anaheim and Taps in Brea and Corona, California. And he is a sandwich historian. He is celebrating the famous 50 each week at his restaurant through the end of 2013. He's celebrating a different favorite sandwich and recognizing sandwiches with origins from every part of the nation. He joins us and we're delighted to have him back. Welcome, Joe. Hi,
3: ladies. Hello.
0: Hello. Okay, start at the beginning, if you would, Joe, because I know you have a passion for the sandwich and an admiration per se, but would you at this point, after all the research, consider yourself a historian?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it it, it was easy for me because I'm such a a lover of history in in general, so being in the culinary business and, and looking at history of food, it was kind of a natural for me, but in doing the research, you find out a lot of things that we've been actually enjoying sandwiches since the eighteen forties. Mm-hmm. And they've taken on just a life of their own ever since, you know, somebody decided to put, you know, two pieces of bread with some sort of meat and then ba boom uh it's taken off into thousands of creations. So it's been a real, real informative and fascinating journey thus far.
0: Definitely so. I think it's very interesting to consider the simplicity of the sandwich, but the art as well. Because the art of making the ultimate sandwich is not just meat, cheese, and bread.
4: This has been been one of the most educational for the guys in the kitchen and myself. When you envision food, you go, hey, let's do one of these or two of those. And then you sit down and you put it together and, and it comes out and you go, oh, that was pretty easy. Your sandwiches have been some of the most challenging Because to make a great sandwich, you have to have the great ingredients. If you don't have a great bread right out of the gate, you're going to fall flat. And and that's been one of the biggest challenges is how do we source a a tremendous, authentic bread for, let's say, a muffalada or or a great seeded rye for a Reuben? Where do we get that?
2: And for me, it's the bread, the interior, the taste, and the eating experience all put together. And you certainly, starting with your bread, Joe... The breads fit the interior perfectly.
0: I agree. And I think the ratios are right on. And there has to be enough spread to bread and spread to meat. And we sat down for a sandwich fest at The Catch in Mm -hmm. Anaheim, California with Joe. And we shared, by the way, because that was an incredible array of sandwiches, Joe. Sandwiches from across the country that one sandwich was better than the next one. So here's what I'd like to do. I'll name the city... Uh, or the sandwich, and you give us its history, okay? (laughs) And give us a breakdown of your favorite interiors, as Lana calls them as well. Talk about the grinder, please.
4: Oh, grinder. Well, that's East Coast-based. And actually, when you hear grinder, think of submarines, think of Hero, think of Hoagie. Those all are kind of the same cold-cut base sandwich done on a French roll. And and the grinder name really came from the Northeast when workers down on these docks would get these Sandwiches with salami, ham, or Cadella cheese, you know, chopped vegetables, you know, jardiniere. In order to get through that thick sandwich with that nice bread, you had to grind through it. And that's really <laughs> where the name grinder came from. You don't see the name grinder very much. You see mm-hmm. it in Sacramento. You see it mm-hmm. in, the, in the Northeast a little bit. Mm-hmm. But now you really see, in America, sub or submarine, or torpedo, or hero.
2: Your right. bread is so perfect because it's really a soft, sweet deli roll.
4: Yeah, right. You've got that one's a really tough sandwich. Let me tell you, you just don't pick up some roll
2: mm-hmm. and, and slap <laughs> the meat in
4: there and go, "Hey, look, here's a famous fifty-grinder uh, right. sandwich." And that's that's where it all started. Like we were saying, you've got to have that bread right out of the gate or you're really going to fall
0: flat. And then you've got to have three meats, a Genoa salami, mortadella, capicola, smoked ham... Right. That's four meats, actually. Mm-hmm. I might have missed one. And then provolone. The shredded mm-hmm. iceberg is key. It gives you crunch, but it doesn't take over the texture. The herb vinaigrette was bright and beautiful. It had cherry peppers and pepperoncini, which, by the way, you had me at cherry peppers and peperoncini. Mm-hmm. And the quality of the meat was amazing. You know me, Joe. I love to eat. But to sit down to a grinder like that, it must have been quite something for you to watch three ladies finish that sandwich. <laughs>
4: Yeah, you guys did well with that we one. We did. Maybe we cut it into quarters. That's because we're right. doing a lot of food that day. I remember when, when, <laughs> when Chef Tom put that thing on the cutting board, I was like, boy, we got to cut this thing in, in quarters. Yeah. It,
0: was just- it was pretty great. If you've just tuned in, you're late. Joe Manzella of the Catch Restaurant in Anaheim and Taps in Brea and Corona is with us. And he's celebrating his famous fifty. The sandwich, a culinary fixture in America since 1840, is being celebrated at the restaurants. And so we're dishing about the best of the best. Puebla, Mexico has this incredible pork sandwich that, I have to say,
4: one yeah, of the, the most... Comida? Yeah, oh. the is, is interesting. You know, I was actually going Killer through on Appetit flavors. magazine. You know, as a restaurateur, you're, you're constantly, you know, snipping around and stuff like that. So I, was, I saw this sandwich in there. I was like, oh my gosh, that looks... It looks really, really interesting for something that comes out of Mexico. It looked like a Big Mac with <laughs> pork in it. Right.
0: It's called it, a semita, C-E-M-I-T-A.
4: Yeah, yeah semita. So semitas are, are in a carne. You can have various types of meat. We're doing the most traditional, which is roast pork, Berkshire pork, with a chipotle puree, avocado, cilantro, lime, and Oaxaca cheese,
2: mm.
0: shredded.
4: And it's like... A Mexican Big Mac. Oh, that
2: was the winner to me.
4: Yeah, and for us, that was that was like a really tough R and D deal. We, we we'd never made that. We you know we've all had pulled pork sandwiches. We've we've had grinders. We've had Rubens. I said, guys, let's let's try this Samita. So for us, that was a, a real challenge because we really didn't have a baseline to go from. Sure, but it looked good and you see all those ingredients on there, and you go, this thing's going to be fantastic. Yeah,
0: and by the way, you've mastered it with the avocado mash and the chicharron, so you get that Mm. fried, crisp pork rind that complements the really rustic, rich, hearty pork, and that big, beautiful sesame bun. Again, it goes back to the bread, Mm. Lana, as Joe said. You you mentioned the Reuben, and um, I saw Lana sigh a little bit. (laughs) show <laughs> uh, because i will say R- rubens have always been famous throughout my childhood mm-hmm. in our home and there's something to be said for warm sauerkraut and good russian dressing and the rye bread. and the rye bread
4: yeah who, who would have thunk it right as they say yes it's you, you true those, those ingredients with swiss and a you know, russian or a thousand and oh let's throw some sauerkraut on this corned beef and let's put it on rye or bread, and. You know, that one, that one has a really interesting history, and, and for, for, for research purposes, really kind of confusing, too, because he, back in 1924, who took really good notes on where the, where the Reuben originated? But we've been able to trace it back to a couple different areas. One is actually by way of Lithuania to Omaha, Nebraska. And guess who, what his name was? Reuben. You know, <laughs> he, and, you know, he made this sandwich uh, for, for late-night poker games, supposedly. But there's no real written history of it, and a couple people have debated it. So, you know, what we've been able to figure is it came between 1924, 1935 or so, and was made like most things. Like, oh, gee, here's what I have, and let's throw this together, and let's put it on that bread, and what do you guys think? Well, the thing just took off right? and, and mm-hmm. turned out to just be one of the... One of the most classic American sandwiches out there. I mean, there's some, some some monster sandwiches in terms of history, but this is really one of the top three, top four out there.
2: Oh, most definitely. And when I go to New York, I expect a great Reuben. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Now we know go to the catch. You, you
4: could
0: have
2: go. the best Reuben.
0: You could go to Anaheim, California for uh-huh. a great Reuben. And that one
4: has got to be... great rye it's
0: a great rye and it's got to be toasted and the bread has to be toasted on both sides so you get that balance of crunch and richness all the way through um just a a minute or two left here joe and it wouldn't be a united states of sandwiches if you didn't talk the muffalata you know i have roots in new orleans and i'm very loyal um but as we discussed you mentioned the Mufalada was probably the toughest sandwich all around to duplicate. And I think that's because it's so unique and because you need to stay authentic, right?
4: Oh, yeah. This one, is, this, without a doubt, is the most challenging. And you know, I had a little bit of fear going into this because I have a lot of friends that, that have lived in New Orleans that are still friends of mine that are out here in Southern California. So when I put that thing on the menu, I was just waiting for the phone calls like, oh, boy. But this one is the bread. Which is really tough because it's a round flat loaf sesame seed, which we had to get our baker to, to replicate. Mm. Well, once you're done with that, you know, the meats and cheeses, the provolone, the, the, you know, the mortadella, the salami and ham, okay, pretty easy. The biggest thing on a mofalata is the olive salad. Yes. And, and just trying to make that as authentic as possible is really, really tough. You got green olives, you got black olives, you got, you know, you got capers, cauliflower. Olive oil, the right amount of oregano. It's got to sit for at least 24 hours, and it's going to have the right acid level. So when we did that one, I'm really, really happy that we actually pretty much nailed that sandwich. My buddy from New Orleans actually took one home to go to his wife, so there's the stamp of approval. On that oh, dish.
0: no doubt. That says a lot. That's a compliment for sure. Yeah. Well, we want to compliment you on your authenticity, on uh, your loyalty and your dedication to the sandwich. I can't think of a better way to honor National Sandwich Month. The Famous 50 is the weekly special or promo at both TAPS and The Catch in Anaheim. All three locations, the Joe Manzella of the Manzella family, just 10 minutes, in fact, from Angel Stadium and Disneyland and the Anaheim Resort. So uh, if you're heading to California, don't miss This weekly sandwich fest. We thank you for sharing a little bit of history, Joe. And uh, you made me hungry once again. So if you could deliver a sandwich.
4: Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) Thank you. The delicious conversation continues right after this, keeping you in the know when it comes to fabulous food. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. La or Happy New Year. In Hebrew, as the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, quickly approaches. Over the centuries, it has become associated with so many beautiful food customs. We eat sweet foods to symbolize our hopes for a sweet New Year, and there really is a wonderful feast and family and friends that gather together to celebrate. We're always delighted when Judy Bart Cansegore sits down at our table as well to dish. She is a leading expert on Jewish food, a newspaper columnist, and a popular teacher of Jewish cooking and family life. She is the author of Cooking Jewish, 532 Great Recipes from the Rabinowitz family, which chronicles five generations of her fabulous family with recipes and photos and stories. And she joins us to share the traditions and her recipes for Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, which begins Wednesday. September 4th. Welcome back to the show, Judy. Glad to have you. So happy to be here again. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Talk to us, if you would, about some of the food customs, because I really love the idea of the symbolism that's associated with Rosh Hashanah and so many of the Jewish holidays.
1: Well, as you said, Jamie, some of the dishes are sweet, uh, laden with fruit, and a lot of them are circular in appearance, symbolizing the wish for a sweet new year the cycle of life, etc. Okay. So you don't expect any sour or bitter flavors on this holiday. Typically, it's a pomegranate, which is symbolizing our wish for a new year that's full of good deeds, as um, supposedly there are 613 seeds. I don't know whoever counted them. <laughs> but just as there are 613 mitzvot or good deeds yes. in the Bible, in the Ten Commandments, mm. we start the meal by dipping apples in honey. You see honey a lot throughout the menu. It's an ancient food, and it's a sweet food, so why not? We also dip the challah in honey.
0: And then there's a wonderful tradition, too, of uh, serving fish, because Rosh Hashanah literally means head of the year in Hebrew. right? And so some of the traditionalists will serve a whole fish with the head on, right? Right. For the beauty of abundance and fertility.
1: Yeah, and I wish to be quote at the head of the class this year, to be on
0: top. There's a little bit of room, by the way, to play or move in all of these customs. And that's one of the things I love about the Jewish tradition is that you can go very traditionalist or you can make it your own. So if it's not pomegranate arrows the individual seeds you're using from the fresh pomegranate. Maybe you incorporate pomegranate molasses Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. your chicken dish. You create your own signature family traditions Mm -hmm. that become yours and are passed down.
1: Right. You know, in your family and in mine, probably... Uh, we both have the same thing that there are certain traditional dishes that if you don't serve them for the holiday, there's going to be a mutiny. Yes.
0: Oh, the mutiny is right. So let's start at the beginning. Let's go through our menu because Lana's created a Rosh Hashanah menu for her home that we're looking forward to sharing. And Judy, we always love to know every year what is on your menu. We'll start with the challah, though. Posted at chefjamie.com. We have featured your Mama Hinda's challah. It is Judy Bart Cantagore's recipe, by the way, and we're celebrating Rosh Hashanah right here, right now. This is a genius concept. Judy, you make your challah dough in the bread maker. Fabulous. Right.
1: So many people are intimidated by bread making Mm -hmm. because it's not perfect. The amount of flour that you're going to use is going to vary from day to day. And so you can look at your recipe, but you may have to adjust it. And that scares a lot of people. But what I've learned to do with my bread maker is, The dough has got to feel slightly tacky, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't stick to your hands. So when you follow the recipe and you put in the amount of dough that it calls for and the bread machine starts to work around, you just pinch it a little bit. If it's too tacky and too sticky, you add a little bit more flour, tablespoon by tablespoon, just a little bit at a time. If it's too dry, you add a little bit more water. Lots
0: of terrific tips mm-hmm. from Judy as well about how how not to overbraid, to risk a flat challah, um, how to avoid deflating your loaf, and how you can actually prepare the dough a day in advance. If you're looking to master... An extraordinary Jewish challah, this recipe is for you, once again posted at chefjamie.com. So we have this beautiful spiral round challah on the table, and the menu begins. Judy, what is your starter course this year? We love gefilte
1: fish, and my mother, who passed away almost three years ago, she and I were the only ones who really liked the real thing. <laughs> and I think half of it has to do with the name. If you say gefilte fish to the children, they go, ew. Right, right? Yes. Because... First of all, most people, their whole experience with gefilte fish is only the stuff that comes in jars. And if that's your experience then no wonder you don't
0: Then it we it. understand
2: right, why you don't like so it. so different when you make right. it yourself. Yes. To make it
1: yourself is no big deal. If you mm-hmm. have a food processor, it comes out great. Too.
0: And one of oh, the recipes of yours I still make today that I remember and love every year, and I happen to think that kafilta fish is the greatest protein-filled snack
2: it is. post wonderful. the year first round. night of Rosh Hashanah year round. and
0: year-round. But you make a salmon kafilta fish, and mm-hmm. this salmon season has been very plentiful with steelhead, sockeye, and with Lana's favorite king's salmon yes. and it really is a wonderful substitute
1: right and i make those in little muffin tins right mm-hmm. individuals individual service and they're baked so you don't even have that whole process of boiling the little fish balls etc
0: yeah pretty so it's
1: fabulous can be.
0: It's awesome. if
1: you can make a muffin you can make you can make a kefilta mm-hmm. fish i like mm-hmm. the analogy oh, that's wonderful and of course you have to have it with uncle lou's Horseradish.
2: Yes, good bitey horseradish. The stronger, the better. Lana, the start of your <clears throat> menu? And we're going to do a, a cold soup. Yes, mm. and actually, September's usually pretty warm.
0: In the Spanish mm. style, too. Mm-hmm. So, Judy, we were planning an ajo blanco, so a very traditional, almost Spanish white gazpacho style with the bread using jala and almonds pureed. Oh, nice. Yeah, really nice and made in advance, mm-hmm. too, which we think will work out quite well. And then moving on to the entree, are you making the traditional brisket? Well, this year I'm
1: going to break with tradition only because my family loves this dish. You know, Ashkenazi Jews, Jews from Eastern Europe, just love Sephardic foods because they (laughs) have these exotic spices in them. And to us, it's just such an exotic meal. And I have this recipe, which is on my website, cookingjewish.com, from my cookbook. Uh, Moroccan spicy apricot lamb shank and I love when I have a lot of company to make dishes that I can make in advance I can even make it the week before and freeze them perfect and just reheat them I like braised dishes for that reason because mm. I doesn't need any attention at the last minute and I can focus on my guests
0: and they taste yes. better, even if you make them tunas in advance, where the flavors meld together in the fridge. Oftentimes, like with a good Jewish chicken mm-hmm. soup, you can skim the fat off right. the top that comes up too. Um, now, Judy, oh. we're we're risking some heated conversation here mom you are making brisket this year right
2: yes but along with the brisket i'm also doing mediterranean chicken love that again a a breeze yes exactly done with dates and figs. lots of sweet Mm -hmm. dried fruit and a really that's a really nice combination
0: too Um, the side dish that we planned for was a quinoa Judy, and I love yeah, the idea of a Mediterranean grade as an accompaniment, that grain mixed with pomegranate seeds or arils, apples, oranges, a warm salad. What's your side dish or starch?
1: I like the idea of quinoa. We often use quinoa for Passover because it's one of those grains that's permitted. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ah. So it, it almost feels decadent for Passover, but that's a great idea. I'm going to do a potato kogel. It's a little different than the usual. We like to do traditional foods and then give them a little twist. We modernize them. And my story in the September issue of Orange County Jewish Life Magazine, which people can read online, is about a new cookbook called Jewish Traditional Cooking by Ruth Joseph and Simon Round. And there's a recipe in there for a potato kogel, and you'll see the photo. With just a beautiful presentation, she uses two different kinds of potatoes. She grates the baking potatoes for the inside with those slow-cooked onions.
0: You know those onions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When the smell alone mm-hmm. reminds you
1: of your grandmother's kitchen? Yes, okay, so
0: I call those glass-and-a-half of chardonnay caramelized onions, uh, Judy, yeah. but they have no chardonnay in them. It takes you a <laughs> glass-and-a-half of drinking to get to the caramelized state, and anything that you put them in... Guaranteed is decadent. Right. You
1: could get drunk on the smell a lot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then there are you take red or Yukon gold potatoes, you boil them first, and then slice them, and they go on top.
0: Mm, what uh, a nice textural dichotomy.
2: Really pretty dish.
0: I love that. And oh, by the way, I'm you can find the recipe posted at ocjewishlife.com. Right.
1: And there's also a recipe in that story for another apple dessert, which she calls Sticky Toffee Apple Pudding Cake. And it's made sticky because of the presence of dates. You know, dates are one of those foods that a lot of people decided that that, uh, they didn't like when they were 10, like coconut.
0: I love (laughs) coconut.
1: Me too. But there are some people, oh, I don't eat coconut. When did you make that decision? When you were 10, right? (laughs) But I find when you add dates, you don't really taste the dates in this. I've seen chocolate recipes with dates. It just makes it sticky and moist.
2: There's a certain sweetness about them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. It is
2: so great as an addition to anything. And we can't be too
0: sweet for Rosh Hashanah. That's Not very true. Not at all. Let's end on a sweet note, Lana. I love this idea
2: of a gift of food, well, right? I'm, we're going to send everyone home with some walnut rosemary honey. How wonderful. And it's just so easy to uh, combine the roasted walnut pieces and a uh, orange blossom honey together and put it in a mason jar. Mm-hmm. It would
0: be a nice hostess gift as well or host gift, Judy, lovely, if you brought with a it. Ribbon or something mm-hmm. Yes, exactly, exactly. If you brought
2: it to someone's home. Exactly. We'll oh, post the recipe as well.
0: Yeah, lovely. And we've posted Judy Bart Gore's recipes for her challah, the dough made in a bread machine, and her caramel apple crunch dessert, which looks absolutely delectable, Judy. All of them posted at chefjamie.com. We thank you for sharing the sweeter side of course to Rosh Hashanah and sharing your menu this year as you do every year with us and we wish you and your family a shanah and a wonderful year ahead
1: thank you so much yeah. to both of you and thank you for having me a Happy pleasure year.
0: you can find Cooking Jewish by the way on Amazon.com and recipes excerpted on Judy's website at cookingjewish.com there's more fabulous food in your radio right after this Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. We're exploring ways of eating local, from frequenting your farmer's market to growing your own, and we're all about farm to fork, as this gentleman is as well. There's a new Bradley Ogden restaurant in Southern California now. It's called Lark Creek Newport Beach, and it has an emphasis on sustainable seafood and seasonality. The outdoor bar in the restaurant is airy and bright. John Ledbetter is the chef, and his menu highlights farm-fresh fare, artisanal cocktails, and worldly wines. And he joins us to talk Talk about his commitment to seasonal cuisine, and we're glad to have you. Welcome, Chef.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Yes, of course. Okay, talk to us about your commitment to sustainable seafood.
3: To begin with, if we don't start fishing sustainable, we're eventually going to run out of fish. Some populations of fish have been wiped out already, and there's a whole bunch more that are going to be in the near future. So if us as restaurateurs and chefs and owners don't start being more responsible about what fish we use and... Mm-hmm how we use it is we're not going to have anything later
0: right and so with that said what are your top fish choices when it comes to what you're serving at your restaurant and what you might be cooking at home
3: right now wild king salmon coho salmon all in season all wild from you know up and down the coast all the way to alaska Mm -hmm. with the regulations anything u.s caught has very very good regulations so we use that we use a lot of the wild fish
0: Yeah. And I think it's important to mention, too, that if you're buying U.S. fish, then you know that their regulations are a bit stricter and that you are definitely following the guidelines for keeping our oceans plentiful for years to come. I think the best dish on your menu is your Alaskan halibut, beautifully crusted with, is it panko or breadcrumb?
3: It's a mixture of black trumpet mushrooms and uh, panko. And And panko.
0: Oh, it has, and butter, and a little more butter. It has this beautiful crunch to it. The fish is cooked just beautifully. And these pillowy, lovely potato gnocchi literally sit as the base. The English peas and the pea tendrils bring a very herbaceous sort of green chlorophyll uh, component to the dish. And it's just gorgeous. Maybe you could teach us how to cook fish like your halibut just perfectly.
3: The halibut's actually one of the easiest things to cook because what we do is we make a little compound butter with the black trumpet mushrooms that we're using dry black trumpets and we just rehydrate them in hot water. And then we just chop them up really fine and mix it with panko and soft butter.
4: And nice. then we roll it
3: out really thin and then we just take our halibut fillets, we put it on top of the butter, and we cut little perfect pieces that fit each individual piece of fish. And then all you have to do is bake it in the oven, you know, about 400 degrees for about eight or nine minutes. Hmm. It still starts to, you know, break free from itself.
0: You make it sound so simple. Wasn't the crust lana just delicious and the fish cooked beautifully? Mm. I love it. And then your beautiful potato gnocchi, the fresh peas. If peas weren't in season, what would your substitute be, chef, as we come into fall?
3: One of the first changes we're going to make is that halibut dish because the peas are starting to trend out. Right. Um, we're in the mix. We're thinking about maybe bringing some early squash in if we could find it. I'm nice. working with a, a deal with this forger who runs up and down California who actually used some of my old local farms from up north. How cool. Mm. I got the world's best Fall squash coming from All Star Organics up north from a guy named Marty. And, uh, Thank you,
0: Marty. A- for
3: that yeah, yeah we it's appreciate un- that. Unbelievable.
0: You mentioned squash, and it reminds me of the side dish we had, which was a yellow squash, patty pans, in fact, mm-hmm. that you had sautéed. You added in these sweet, lovely blonde raisins, and yep. I thought the combination was just perfect.
3: If you get really nice summer squash, it's just so easy to achieve. Mm-hmm. We're just buying the stuff in season, that's fresh, that's coming. From as local as possible
0: well it certainly tastes that way one of the things we would love to dish on is your quinoa salad chef that is served alongside the roasted mary's half chicken I have to say, it is one of the best quinoa mm-hmm. salads I've ever had. Lana, would you agree? Especially with the
2: plums in it. Oh, just it was fabulous. Wonderful.
0: The beauties of quinoa and the health benefits of it as well, I think, are definitely worthy of some conversation here.
3: The quinoa, organic Peruvian quinoa, uh, it's a superfood. Mm-hmm. The baby kale makes it a superfood as well. So the whole entire dish is just a very healthy dish. The Mary's chicken is air-chilled chicken from up north, one of the best. Chickens, there is.
0: We've had them on the show, you know. They talk about their oh, really? chickens and how they're raised. Yeah, it really is the best tasting, juiciest chicken that you can find on the West Coast.
3: It is. It's really dynamite. And the quinoa salad, just keep it easy. We take plums and we do little slivers. We kind of dry them out overnight in a, an oven that's turned off just with a pilot light. So it becomes almost like a um, fruit roll of fish. Yes. Kind of.
0: Ooh, the secrets of a restaurant chef. Go on. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And then so then we just add a little texture, some sunflower seeds that we toast and season with salt, a white balsamic vinaigrette that we use that we cook uh, shallots in the jackets until they're very soft, and we pump them out of the jackets and make a little vinaigrette with it. So it's you it. just
0: puree the caramelized shallots with white balsamic and good olive oil?
3: Yep, that's it. The key is the shallots have to be super soft, so you roast them in the jackets on a bed of salt mm. until you can squeeze the shallot out of the jacket.
0: Mm. I love your love of of wood fire and you have a wood fired grill at the restaurant that i know you start with mesquite as you mentioned and then you feed with almond wood and it is entirely evident in the cider brined pork chop
3: the almond wood gives it a unique flavor when you get the opportunity to have a wood fire grill at a restaurant it's such a pleasure to have hmm. the flavor that you get from a grill is unbelievable the, the natural smoke flavor Not only do we cook our steaks and our burgers and everything else on the grill, we'll roast vegetables, and that's how we uh, roast our peppers if we're going to peel them, and we Mm. mark off our our corn for our side dish for that, so it picks up that smoke flavor.
4: Yeah,
2: and it's subtle. How about your uh, barbecue chicken tamale pancake, John?
3: Yeah, that's one of our signature dishes. We brought that from Lark Creek Walnut Creek. Mm -hmm. So we just make a pancake batter using uh, prepared masa dough. Okay. We add it to our mixer with warm milk and then a little bit of leavening agent. And we make like a pancake batter. And then we fold in bell peppers, cilantro, jalapeno, red onions. We roast whole Mary's chickens and pick them and then toss them a little bit of our barbecue sauce.
0: Yeah, wait, what is the secret to that barbecue sauce? Bacon. Bacon, baby. There we go. It has a wonderful smoky flavor. <laughs> that it does. But it's a, it's a light glaze on the chicken. Mm-hmm. It is.
3: You have to keep it light on that one or it becomes a little too much.
0: We thank you for sharing the secrets of a restaurant, Chef John. Uh, We will be back for more. It is the new Bradley Ogden restaurant in Southern California. Lark Creek, Newport Beach is now open at Fashion Island. Chef John Ledbetter at the helm with his farm-fresh, sustainable, seasonal cuisine all reflected on the menu. Ever-changing and always with that hint of almond wood. It was a pleasure, Chef. Thank you for sharing your passion.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
0: We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right. We are always heating it up in your radio every Sunday. Grand guests and chef's tips that we hope make your dishes come alive with flavor. Please visit the website at chefjamie.com where we're always serving up seconds. We've revamped it in its entirety, and we're all about delivering delicious content. Give us some feedback. Email us. Uh, You can write to us at live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com. We'd love to know. And we'll leave you with our last bite, our last tidbit of scrumptious information, for this Sunday. Planning to go back to school? Well, it's always fun to create new lunch combinations for the kids, so as we embark on a new school year, why not consider lunch on a stick instead of the traditional sandwich? Take your favorite cheese and grape tomatoes, cubes of bread, leaf lettuce, the best deli meats, red or green grapes, and just skewer them onto the wooden skewers. That's the ultimate lunch on a stick. Now that's my kind of nouveau kind of lunch. We hope that you enjoy listening and that you'll continue to tune in as the delicious conversation comes from our kitchen to yours to see what's tuning in uh for next sunday to tune in rather and see what's coming up next sunday please check out chef and on behalf of lana i'm chef jamie gwen we thank you for listening and we hope you continue to eat well